0: feel like people are pumped this morning. Let me just get my props ready. It's going to be fun. Um, So I know that everyone here is really excited um, for Pietro to be coming. They're coming in about half an hour's time and we've got some gelato, two dollars a scoop, heavily subsidized because we just want to have fun and it's summer. uh, Summer's nearly, today doesn't really feel like summer. So um, we'll have a little party after the experience. Um, We're going on a bit of an honor system. So this jar, is it a jar? What is it? Pot. (laughs) It's going to be somewhere out there. Honor system, chuck your $2 in there and you get a scoop. Uh, They're going to have a cart around the front. If you don't have coinage, shrapnel, you can always just transfer it over. Just put on the uh, direct debit thing that it's for ice cream. And we're going to have a lot of fun. So don't rush off after the experience. Stick around. Have a chat with someone that you have not really gotten to know. Um, It's always great when we are in family just to really know each other well. And that's what we want to do. Ice cream is a great lubricant for conversation. So be there, or um, we will pray for you you don't like ice cream by the way there is a vegan option i don't know why you would have that but um it is available we will also pray for you um because we want you to be saved Um. (laughs) Uh, but you know last week we had our anointing service how many people were there I know quite a number of you were there, and we've got to pray for people. What we do every year is that we pray for people, we anoint people. We believe that this is a, a really important uh, time for us to speak into what God wants to do in people's lives. Uh, but when we thought about anointing service, which is something that we used to uh, have at our previous church that Beck and I were serving at as well, uh, there, there was there's this sense that the anointing is... Something that is somewhat symbolic, but it symbolizes something really important. Just like when you do a graduation ceremony when you finish your university or your high school, the anointing is something like that. It signifies a shift from one place to another place. When you look into the Old Testament, when the, uh, when the prophets anointed uh, David, for example, he was anointed, and then from there he went into the king service, and he would later on become the king. When we see the priests when they're anointed they previously were not allowed into the holy place but then because of the anointing they have this shift that takes place and they're now allowed into the presence of God to serve God the anointing is something that is so significant because it symbolizes a shift in your life right? That's something that I want you to hold in mind. We are in this series that we're calling Life. We're talking about the life that Jesus gives to us. We're talking uh, specifically from John 10 verse 10 in the message version. It's it's like lives verse. So if you don't know it, get to know it. We talk about it all the time anyway, so I don't know how you wouldn't know it if you've been here for more than five weeks. Um, and, And Jesus says, I have come that you might have real and eternal life, more and better life, right? And that's what we're exploring over this month. And one of the things that we need to recognize is that the life that Jesus gives to us is a shift. The anointing represents a shift. Life that Jesus gives to us represents a shift. Pastor Bread, Pastor (laughs) Bread, Pastor Pastor Beck pointed out last week. In by the way, it's our seventh anniversary today. To the day, seven years, the year of completion. I don't know what that means, um, but it's a great time, and that's why we got ice cream as well, because we love it, so party with us. Um, Pastor Beck brought out uh, last week, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new has come. If we want to access the life that God has for us, it represents a shift that we need to go through. We need to understand that. And quite often when we talk about change, especially positive change, change that we're excited about, we're like, yeah, change, you know, it's going to be so much better, it's going to be so great. There's so many people I know, right, they change jobs, and at first they're like, yeah, this job pays better, it's going to be better work hours, better benefits, and then they actually start, and they recognize the change that has taken place, and they're like, oh, I didn't like this. I didn't sign up for this. You know, in the same way, when we talk about the change that Jesus brings to us, I find that that's quite similar. Many people talk about, yeah, you know, Jesus saved me, redeem me, and they're so excited. They started their Christian walk, and then suddenly they realize that change is really necessary, and they go, oh, I didn't sign up for this. I did a bit of a search, right, in, in the Bible about Jesus talking about life and the shift that is required, and it's not pretty reading. Wow, that went really quiet. No one was like, yeah, preach it, Pastor. No, it's not good. If anyone doesn't want to know about this, you might want to leave right now because this is not very nice. Because, for example, Jesus teaches us that He is the way to truth and life, the only way truth and life, right? And then He then goes on to say that this way to life is a narrow path. And he says, many people miss it because it's a narrow path. And then he says, in order to find his narrow path, we need to trust him and only him. And in order to trust him, we need to love him. In order to uh, love him, we need to obey his commands. Some people are suddenly going like, I thought Jesus was all about grace and me doing whatever I want. No. Christianity is about doing what Jesus wants when we do what Jesus wants, then we find a path towards life. How do we do what Jesus wants? He says, pick up your cross daily and deny yourselves. Oof. I thought it was all about life. Yeah. And then he goes on and he shares that those who want to save their life will lose it. It's in losing our lives for the sake of the gospel that we will save it. I don't know if I like this shift. I don't know if I like this change. And then he says, oh, my favorite, Matthew 19, 28 to 30. In this life, you will find troubles, trials, persecution. People are gonna hate you. Oh, sign me up right now. I want that life. That's why I'm giving you ice cream because it's like, sometimes life really sucks. So have some sugar while you can. What is going on? I want his life. Yep, obey Jesus. Find a narrow path. Deny yourself. Lose your life for my sake because that's when you will find it. You'll be persecuted on the way, by the way. Ooh, change. That's Jesus is actually putting in no, in undebatable terms, that the life in him is a change. If we want this life that Jesus brings, it requires change. It is not just simply going about our normal lives, it is about change. But what I want to put forward for you is that this change is actually a promotion. I know I've painted the, (laughs) that, the difficult stuff, but I want you to understand that what Jesus is actually asking of us is that he's saying, I'm bringing change into your life because it's a promotion. And, I, and, and when I was think, thinking about this, a little while ago, uh, my pastor, I, I heard him give this analogy, and it was so helpful. Uh, there was this person that was struggling in their leadership, and, and Pastor Joel was saying, well, you're struggling because you've needed to change. You see, when you used to uh, be the, 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 the volunteer, you know, you're not leading anything, you're just here to help, you, you see things at this level. You see this, you understand this, you operate in this, this is who you are. But when you've been promoted to another level, I was going to do like a box jump, but I don't think I should do that. And you know, when you're promoted, you are brought to a whole nother level. You see differently, you act differently. And one of the things that I realize is that when I have been promoted to another level in life, and I try to dabble in the things that I used to do it's really dangerous. I'm probably at some point going to fall down. I cannot live at that place while living in the promotion that God has for me. If I'm to live in this place, I've got to understand how to get used to this viewpoint of life. I need to understand that I see differently, I act differently, I am different change is often because of promotion if i don't change i end up destroying my life and the life of other people around me in leadership there is this principle you can search this up for yourself it's called the peter principle the name peter and the peter principle is this (sighs) sorry (laughs) no box jumps to me the peter principle is this that people are often promoted to the level of their inadequacy. People are not often promoted to the level that they are good at, because when they are good at that level, people go, oh, you're so amazing. And then they promote them, and suddenly the change that is required for the next level, that person is not changing. They're still operating at a previous level, and so they will get stuck at that level because they won't be promoted beyond that because they're not surviving at that. They're struggling at that. And that's what happens across the board with so many organizations. We promote people because they're doing so well at this level, but they step up, they don't change, they're still acting according to the previous level, and they struggle with the promotion. When God is asking us about change, when He's saying that I'm offering you life, and this life requires change, it's a promotion. Let me show you what this promotion looks like. In John 11, 7 to 11, it says this. Jesus was talking about a man named John the Baptist who was his cousin who went before him, who was about to get beheaded for his ministry uh, in preparing the way for Jesus. And this is what he said. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to uh, to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind, If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet, yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Pause. Think about this jesus was saying anyone born of a woman who's that everyone yeah not a trick question none of you were born from an elephant you were all born of women if you were born from a woman up to that point when john the baptist was born john is greater than all of them the greatest of all time up to that point in time right think about that abraham father of the faith john is greater Moses, leading the people out of Egypt, John is greater. Joshua, who leads the people into the promised land as a mighty conqueror, John is greater. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, who served faithfully, writ- written psalm after psalm about chasing after God's own heart, John is greater. Elijah the prophet calls down fire from heaven, able to pray and stop the rain from coming, able to pray and start the rain from coming. John is greater. Jesus says this John is greater than all of them. But then he goes on to make this comment Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Think about that. Stop, pause the lease of the kingdom. Who is the lease of the kingdom? Well, Jesus' ministry was about proclaiming that the kingdom of heaven is here. He was proclaiming that if you believe in me, today you enter into the kingdom. The kingdom is basically where God's rule and domain is taking place. He was just simply saying, if you actually want to accept God's rule and reign over your life, you are part of the kingdom. And when you become part of this kingdom, you might be the least in the kingdom. You might be one that is still struggling with addiction and sin. You might be still struggling with your shame. You might be struggling with this sense of righteousness about how God could actually choose to have you in right standing with Him. You could be struggling with your position. You could be struggling with your role. You could be struggling with why Jesus would even love you. But as the least of the kingdom, you're greater than John. You're greater than Abraham you're greater than Moses, you're greater than Joshua, you're greater than David. And I was thinking about this, I'm like, I don't deserve this promotion. You see, up to that point, the kingdom of heaven had not come yet. Before Jesus, the kingdom of heaven was still far away. Why? Because the way to enter the kingdom was to live a perfect, righteous life. No one could do that. But Jesus gives you righteousness and says, you are part of the kingdom today. And then he goes on to say, you're greater than the greatest of all time. That really strikes a chord with me. The life that Jesus gives to us is promotion. It's change because something greater is coming. Now, he even goes on to say, this is almost blasphemous, but Jesus said it, so I get to say it. John 14, 12 to 14, Jesus saying this, very truly, I tell you, when Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, is the truth, undeniable principle. This is set in stone. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Can you see that, that Jesus was even saying that we are going to be doing greater things than Him? Oh, someone stoned me now. How dare you say that you could do greater things? than Jesus wanted you to do greater things than He did. There is change that is required because no longer are you groveling trying to find your righteousness. Jesus sets you up as righteous, and there is greater. There is this promotion that takes place, and we need to understand that you are meant to be living greater. No, 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 no. You need to understand. This is not some prosperity gospel. I've just laid out for you that Jesus was talking about a promotion for our lives when we enter into the kingdom. And that kingdom requires us to change. It requires us to change because God has got more for us and He's taking us into a new way of living. And what we need to understand is that if we don't change, we lose out. Jesus teaches this in Mark 2 verse 22. It says... And no one pours new wine into old wine skins, otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. What we need to understand about what Jesus is teaching about is that he was talking about different seasons and different times and different anointing and what Jesus and what God is wanting to do in our lives. There's new wine available for us that new wine won't come to us if we are living at this level because it will destroy us. We cannot contain when we are still living according to old ways. In order to receive the life that God has for us, we need to live different, see different, be different in order to contain what God wants for us. Can I just put forward a question before we go any further? How are you going with the promotion that God has issued to you, that Jesus has purchased for you? Have you understood the promotion, the change, the life that God has for you? What does it actually look like? Does it it mean that we all go around Wearing old Jewish costumes and healing people and um, casting out demons and preaching on street corners—what what does it actually look like? What does it actually mean? Now, you might actually be called to do some of those things. Fantastic! Great. But what Jesus actually says in Matthew 28, in the Great Commission, at the very end of His life on earth, as He was about to be taken to heaven, He says, therefore go and make disciples of the whole world. And we take that go as we need to go somewhere else, because that's how it's translated into the English. But a better translation for that Greek is, therefore, as you go about your life, as you go about your daily life, You see, Jesus isn't waiting to take you somewhere else. Jesus is waiting for people that are ready to access the life that He has in the very life that you're living. He's not waiting for you to quit your job and to write up this beautiful cardboard board that says the end of the world is here. He is waiting for people to be truly alive Christians in their workplaces. He is waiting for Christians who are truly alive amongst their family, amongst their friends, in their, in their spheres of influence, that you are alive so that God can use you. And I want to tell you a bit of a story that might help you understand this. This is not so much a story as a history lesson. In, 19, sorry, in 1703, over 300 years ago, Great Britain had about 5 million in population, and out of that 5 million, 4 million of them were in abject poverty. They were so poor that many of them would literally die on a day if no one was to give them any food whatsoever. They were in desperate circumstances. Britain at that time was the royalty rich, those who had status, and then everyone else. There was 20% that were living prosperous amazing comfortable lives 80 percent in such poverty that they could die that very day that's what it was like in the early 1700s and at that time there was a man and his name was John Wesley John Wesley was a Christian and he studied the word of God and he felt God call him to plant churches and he was brought up with a bit of a Puritan background. He, he really believed in, in practices that would lead him closer to God. And so he was very big on teaching these things. And so he taught those things. He planted those churches. Those churches today are known as the Methodist churches. And the Methodist churches boomed across Europe, across America even, and, 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 and Great Britain, uh, where, where John Wesley was working. These churches began to spring up everywhere, and he taught two main things. The first thing is to leave your life of sin, and the other thing is to live a life that is holy pretty straightforward leave your life of sin live a life that is holy acceptable to god which is what the bible teaches us by the way is leaving your life of sin living a holy life you can put it in that kind of a way and so in order to do that some of the things that they began to do was to teach people how to read because in 1700 many people did not know how to read and so their christianity was completely based on what their priests or their pastors were teaching them He wanted people to know how to live a holy life for themselves, living out what they were reading in the Bible, and so He taught them how to read. He taught them how to read, they started to become educated, and they started to get better at the work that they were doing because of the education because of that, they were starting to actually leave that abject poverty and and move into a different phase. And so they were like, okay, people now have got some money. And so they taught them how to handle their money according to God's principles. And so that kind of continued on in every community that a Methodist church was being planted in. So much so that today, historians look back at that time and they went, John Wesley created the middle class. John Wesley created the middle class. One man with such a desire to help people live the life that God has for them that a whole country was changed. In fact, as that continued on and, and other other people took on what John Wesley were doing and they continued on that work that they were doing, it, it became such a thing about this whole middle class about, uh, about rich Christians, basically, that should not have become rich. They had no right to become rich. How did they become rich? So much so that the sociologists started to study some of these churches. His name was Max Weber. He's a German guy and he He came up with this term, the Protestant work ethic. That is being taught in our universities today. I learned that a number of years ago. The Protestant work ethic was the work of a man who studied churches, and he went, These churches are prosperous, these nations are prosperous because they're teaching people how to deal with money in a way that creates this kind of capitalism and all that kind of gear. You know what? Capitalism wasn't part of the plan. The plan was to help poor people live a life that God has for them. And that changed so much that people are going, oh, you are all rich and you are just wanting to hoard all the money for you. No, Max Weber did not understand that the beginnings of the Protestant work ethic was actually in poverty and according to God's principles. I was really quite mad when I first learned about a Protestant work ethic all you Christians are capitalists and wanting all that money. And I'm like, hang on. We've forgotten that. That's, that's not the point. Yeah. You see, the life that I'm talking about, this promotion that God has for you isn't about your personal prosperity. Yeah. It's actually more along the lines of what John Wesley was doing. He was simply living as best as he could the life that God had called him to live and the overflow of that transform nations. Our nation today, Australia, is impacted by the work that John Wesley did 300 years ago. How crazy is that? And God began to show me that one of the biggest things that we need to shift in, in order to live the life that God has for us, requires us to see our lives a little bit differently. This is object lesson number two. Let's say this cup represents us. What many of us do when we come to God, myself included, let's say that this God, a nice jug of water. We come to God and we say, God, fill me. And I learned a word a little while ago. Did pretty good. Um, Everyone has heard the word overwhelmed before, right? And um, I asked myself one day, I asked Beck the other day, is there such a word called whelmed? (laughs) And we use overwhelmed all the time. And apparently whelmed is actually a proper English word. Whelmed simply means full to the brim. That cup is whelmed. In case you can't see it, I tried to make sure the water was literally all the way to the top. Okay? That cup is whelmed. You cannot put anything more in it. And what God put on my heart as I was thinking about this is that Christians are very happy at being whelmed by God. Right? Right? Why did John Wesley need to leave whatever he was doing in order to reach the poorest of the poor? He was whelmed. He knew how to read. He had all the prosperity that he probably needed. He didn't come from that kind of poverty. He had food on his table. He was provided for. Whelmed. But something in him went, that's not what God is wanting me to do. See, one of the shifts that I reckon we need to be making in order to access the life that God has for us is to stop looking at being whelmed and to start looking at being overwhelmed. You see, I believe that God is calling us as Christians to live overflowing lives. We are not to be coming to God every single moment of every single day going, Oh, I'm such a worm. Fill me, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Fill me for what? You got food on your table. You got educated. You got your Bible with, and and, you know, I was thinking about this. I was like, how many songs do we sing? I said, I'm not enough unless you come. Come fill me, come fill me, come fill me, come fill me, come fill me. And and I, I just felt there's nothing wrong with those songs because we need to remember that God is our source. We need to remember that God is the one that fills us. But how often do we wonder about whether we are overflowing and impacting the lives around us? Let me just read to you uh, one more scripture this morning. And it comes from John 7:38 to 39. It says this, whoever believes in me, this is Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. He was talking about a day would come, the day of Pentecost would come where the spirit would fall and will become available for each and every person. And when the spirit falls, it's not about being whelmed, it is about being overwhelmed. And you see, when you are overwhelmed, you start to flow out and you start to impact the community that you are in. You start to influence the people around you because it's not about you, it's about the overflow. And I started to ask myself, how often have I asked God whether I'm overflowing or not? I'm so caught up with, do I have grace for me? Do I have what I need? Do I have the provision that I'm looking for? that I stopped asking God about, where, am, am, am I overflowing, God? And I started to ask God, why is it that I don't ask about my overflow? And God showed me three things that I'm so sad about, about how I used to act and about sometimes how I still do act. See, the first thing is this. We don't keep the overflow. We only keep what whelms us. Whatever overwhelms us, we don't get to keep You can't really see this, but there's water in that basin, by the way. That water in the basin is not in the cup. And when God overflows you, as much as it's nice to sing about, overflow in me, overflow in me, many of us are going like, but it doesn't affect me. I don't need that. I'm good with whelmed. You don't keep the overflow. You don't keep the overflow, people. And because you don't keep the overflow, you don't direct the overflow. Think about this. When I was pouring water into that cup, I didn't go, I want it to overflow that way. Please go that way. No, no, when it overflowed, it just went. It just flowed out. And I think that sometimes that disturbs us. I don't want to overflow there because that person sucks. That person doesn't deserve God's grace, so I'm going to flow that way. Oh my gosh, the overflow, you don't direct. And you don't, finally, you don't control it. It impacts. It does what God wants to do, not what you want to do. And so when we get so caught up, we're being whelmed because the overflow is not in our control. The overflow is not for us. We get caught up in just simply being whelmed Christians. And so we come to the altar and we say God fill me because I'm feeling so dry. Maybe you're feeling so dry because God isn't wanting to give you any more because you don't want to overflow. You were not meant to be a vessel containing God's glory for yourself. You were meant to be a conduit of God's glory so that when he flows in you, whatever flows in you flows out into the communities that you are in. We need more John Wesleys who are seeing the world, understanding the principles of God and saying, that's not for me alone. That is meant for me to overflow. You see, there is a kingdom of greater. There is a kingdom that God is promoting us to that is talking about greater, but the greater cannot happen unless we are ready to overflow, unless we are ready to become overwhelmed with the Spirit, that we are led into communities and we are led into our families and to our workplaces. And we are saying, God, this is not just for me. I'm done with Christianity for me. That is all about whether I'm comfortable, about whether I'm provided for, about whether I am full. Because when I'm concerned about the overflow and I'm asking for the overflow, it requires God to fill me first before the overflow happens. And so we get caught up with the overflow. We will be filled. We got selfish Christianity that talks about our personal fullness. Now it's important. I can't overflow unless I'm filled but neither is the point for me to be filled. Jesus says, I'll pour out my cup as a drink offering if that's what is required. If my community is to be impacted, if my nation's to be impacted, if the call of God is to be fulfilled with me being empty, I will empty my cup. Knowing that God is faithful and just. He's your provider. When the Holy Spirit comes rivers of living waters flow from, flow from. This morning, can we get the band back up? I want to talk to people this morning about making a commitment to stop living whelmed Christianity. Whelmed Christianity is a starting point. It's a great place to start. We come to Jesus and we know that we are empty. We know that we've got nothing to offer. And so we come to Him saying, even salvation is beyond me. I need you. And so we begin to pray and we begin to ask God, God, fill me. I I, I want this. But that's the starting point. That's the starting point. That's the starting point. There are people in this room that need to hear that. Not because I hate you, but because I want you to step into the promotion that God has for you. Stop trying to live whelmed. Whelmed is not good enough. Whelmed isn't all that God has for you. Stop wondering about when you're, uh, how God's going to provide for you. Just know that He will. Can you imagine a child that is born into your family, and every single day that child comes to you and says, fill me, Daddy. Fill me. Fill me, Dad. F- fill, fill me. Fill me, Dad. When there may be one, two, three, five, six, if that's 30, they're like, fill me, Dad. I was like, what is wrong with you, child? You know I'm going to feed you. You know, I'm gonna provide for you. You know, there's always gonna be food on the table. You know, there's gonna be a shelter over your head. You know that I am more than enough for you. So stop wondering about what you are being filled with and learn about the impact that you're meant to have on the world around you. Parents, can I just say, teach the next generation to live overflowing lives? Teach the next generation that being filled is not all that there is to life. Our culture tells us that our happiness, our wellness is all that is worth living for. That is the greatest lie. Because when you are only focused on being well, you notice every time that the level dips below the top and you go, oh, I'm not full anymore. I need to fill myself. Rather than understanding, hang on, I've got a mission and I've got a purpose. And God helped me to overflow into my world. We started Lyft and we said that Lyft will never be about the bums on the seats as amazing as all your bums are. I love your bums. Let's cut that out of the recording. But it's about how we impact this community. In 2020, let's let's get serious about this. I'm not just saying do the things that Lyft wants you to do. You can't jump on what we are doing What we're organising, fantastic. We need people to do that. But perhaps God is bringing you to your family. Perhaps God's bringing you to your workplace. Perhaps God is bringing you into places of brokenness. And He's saying, are you willing to allow rivers of living water to flow from you? You don't need your pastor to go into your workplace to put an anointing on the door for God to be there. No, you are meant to impact the places that you go to. When we go to Curtin University, we don't go in and 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 shove shove Christian verses down people's pockets and saying this is what you need. No, 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 no. We just go there and we just say, "How are you going? How's how how are you handling life?" And we just love them out overflow of our hearts and the doors that have opened for us as a church because we're just there to overflow. We're not there to direct or control what happens to that flow. We're simply there to overflow. So we pray before we go in and say, God, bring the right people along our path. We don't know who they are. We don't know what their needs are. But there's always some conversation that takes place that lets us know you overflowed into a place that needed that. If your world is looking messed up and dried, perhaps the question mark is not so much, God, fill me, but I say, God, help me to overflow in this place. That requires a shift. When Jesus said that if you follow me, you deny yourself, pick up your cross daily and follow me. I think that's about being whelmed versus overwhelmed. When he said, pick up your cross, he was saying, it's not about you. If you want to follow me, don't make this about you deny yourself. It's not about your cup, but it's about your overflow. Can we just all close our eyes right now? I just stand from the beginning of today. Today is a bit about a commissioning. In fact, can we just stand? First and foremost, I want to talk to people who don't know this Jesus, who are at a place where you feel empty, you feel dry, you feel as though you're trying to make things work by yourself, but it's not working. Let me introduce you to Jesus, who said that if you believe in your heart and confess to your lips that I am Lord, that day salvation is yours. You enter the kingdom of heaven that day, even though you might be the least, you are living the greatest life you could ever imagine. God will be your provider, God will be your sustenance, God is your saviour, Messiah, you don't have to worry about yourself anymore, because God is there. I'm not saying not to look after yourself, don't hear me wrong, but what I'm saying is that God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything you hope or imagine. You are beginning that journey with Him. And so if you want to accept Jesus into your life, say this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. Be my Lord and my Saviour. Come live in me. Wash me clean and make me whole. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.